All right, let's uh, let's go. Ahead. You want to go ahead and get started here? And- I suppose we can. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is the Machination Log for December eighth, twenty sixteen. This is David Paddock. Nicole is to my left. I am to the left today. And Ryan is across from me. All the way to the left. And Jacob is in another room, <laughs> yes. but he is visiting. But he is physically yes. present. Yes. Yes. He is among us. Yeah. In any case, Ryan, you have the floor. So I, uh, this was my pick for today's uh, movie, and I wanted to pick a movie that is trying to look at uh, different stories, different characters from perspectives we haven't really focused on before. I'm always trying to like expand out. Uh, in specific ways, uh, the ideas of the movies we're trying to watch and see. I'm just say that you guys aren't as well, but I wanted to pick up a movie of an experience of a group of people that maybe we don't usually focus on when we try to, you know, go out and watch movies. Now, the movie I chose is uh, 1964's Nothing But a Man uh, by Michael Romer, and directed by Michael Romer. And I chose this movie because I um, have some personal affinity uh, towards the civil rights movement in general. It's one of like my favorite periods of American history. It's one of like my favorite things about politics just in general. I find it to be incredibly, not only, I mean, inspiring is kind of like the, a weird word because like this isn't like I saw a video about like, you know, a returning soldier or a cancer survivor and found it inspiring. I mean, it's inspiring to me on a wholly different level because of its, uh, of what it says about people, not just in a singular sense, but in a wider sense of how you can change and affect society. And I think that is, like incredibly inspiring to me in the sense that it kind of like engages my imagination and my attention whenever, uh, when I started learning about it in in greater detail about a decade ago. Um, And I saw this movie about that time period as well. And it really kind of solidified uh, not just the kind of like historical perspectives, you know, your Martin Luther King's, your Malcolm X's, uh, but I started reading uh, Black Thought from this time period. I should also note that there's a guy, an author named James Baldwin, who is a very famous essayist and novelist. And um, he has actually a really good documentary coming out about him uh, recently. Um, and I think that'd be a good one to check out if, if you're interested in this time period as well. But in my reading about, in reading about, um, you know, black culture coming out of the vicious system of segregation that existed before uh, the 1960s and, you know, perpetuated even a little bit after that. But there was just a really, really vicious social system in place throughout the United States of America that was specifically targeting, you know, black Americans and other minorities, but primarily black Americans. And as someone that has a visceral hatred of racism and racists in general, like I like, and that was something I've had like well before my interest in civil war. I didn't like discover that I hated racism 10 years ago. You know, like I'd always had like a really- You were always intrinsically don't hate. Yeah, well, yeah, well, no, but like that I hate the haters, okay. you know, like, and not to use the parlance of our and times. That's, well, that's what, it's sad because we are becoming increasingly more a nation of haters. Well, and this is what is interesting is that I've always found it so despicable when someone says, you know, um, geez, you're being intolerant of intolerance as if these like double negative, like, like log- logic puzzles are supposed to confound me, you know, and I fucking hate it when someone always like says that somehow you just tolerance punch him in the face yeah I just fucking that? go at him you know like I want to like destroy this perspective of how like it has somehow become socially acceptable to like you know you know to hold these views and to think that there's somehow like avant-garde or counterculture um or alternative alternative yeah like you know like I'm like I'm being risque or something like or, that or at least as useful as they seem to believe they are yeah, yeah exactly yeah like the 
Yeah, you know, like the Southern white pride, like Confederate flag stuff. Oh, like, oh it means pride. And you're like, yeah, I'm, but you have guys got kind of a culture that's not really healthy. Uh, yeah. forward. <laughs> I mean, even even beyond that, though, the, uh, the the intellectual side of it, of attempting to make sure that there aren't holes in your armor by testing yourself. I mean, there's there's only a degree to which that's even helpful. Mm-hmm. And it's almost always transgressed upon. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's... It's just interesting because as, you know, we're, I mean, we're really like a, a kind of like a second generation removed from this time period, you know, like, yeah. I mean, fully grown up, fully experienced a world where racism was at least 20 or 30 years behind us as, as I'm characterizing as the like, you know, because segregation was like a legal system, you know, like it was an, an intentional decision by a majority to impose this social order on a, another group of people. And while this is, you know, becomes the basis of you know, how does someone kind of deal with this in a, as a political problem, right? The mm-hmm. civil rights movement. All right, how do we overcome this as a political problem? There is another side to it, which is incredibly, incredibly fascinating to me. And it um, kind of led me to read um, uh, Black Thought, um, decolonial theorists in international politics. How does someone reconcile? Would Ralph Ellison fall into yes. that? Yeah, okay. Ralph Ellison, your James Baldwin's. Um, not as familiar with James Baldwin. I'm more familiar. Oh with man, he, yeah, he's got some really good okay. stuff. But then, uh, like, also you have a lot of people who are like theorizing uh, what it means to really overcome this in a personal way. Uh, someone like a Franz Fanon or something like that, who's very famous, uh, uh, a theorist, uh, uh, you know, psychoanalyst, but also a political activist. And what I don't want to focus on are the kind of like which we can obviously talk about because it kind of like frames the context of the story. I don't want to necessarily focus on these, like, you know, larger social systems. All right, I, I bashed the South. I bashed racism already. You know, like, I'm, I got my street cred on that front. But what I find so fascinating about this movie is the, the internal dynamic of overcoming oppression. And I think that this is what Nothing But a Man is, is about. Uh, because while there is a kind of material reality that a black person faced in the early and uh, mid-20th centuries... Um, there's also an internal struggle that results from that. And I think Nothing But a Man tries to look at and address some of these concerns uh, in a very interesting way. So to start us off with, um, I'll just go ahead and run us through the basic setup of the story, and then we'll lead to where he uh, Duff meets Josie, and they begin their romance, okay? Works for me. All right. So we uh, find our main character, uh, Duff, played by actor Ivan Dixon. He is a railroad worker and presumably has a decent job at a decent time. He's making $80 a week, $80 a which week. is good money, so for, she, especially for a black man. Yeah, damn good money at yeah. this time period. And um, he works on a rail, with a railroad crew, right? A group of friends. Uh, we're also led to believe that they uh, that they are also union, uh, unionized at the at this as well. Um, it's, and, a, it's a comfortable existence, but it's a comfortable existence the same way that nowadays, uh, the closest analog we have to that kind of work would probably be the people who work out in the oil fields. Yes. They, um, you know, they're away from their families if they even have them, mm-hmm. and it's very dangerous, and it's laborious, mm-hmm. but the money is good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they have a certain, I mean, there's, it's, it's interesting also, which is that it's a job where you have to travel, right? Because you know, as you're build, as you're constructing a railroad, you are at the farthest reach of that railroad, per, you know, yeah. permanently. <laughs> so um, he finds, you know, the as we'll see, the this maybe appeal appeals to Duff. This idea that you're you're moving, you know, you're you're not settled anywhere. He's also, um, um, you know, he's kind of protected a little bit because he keeps moving. He's protected from kind of like the institutionalized 
racism that comes with like living in a small community, you know, because he is constantly moving from place to place. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't get to, doesn't necessarily experience it as, you know, as firsthand. Like it's easier for him to maneuver without like getting into like petty issues Mm -hmm. with kind of the institutionalized racism that like these small towns that he's traveling through Mm -hmm. um, have. And that reduction in exposure leads to what will end up being a lot of his foil in the movie is, Mm -hmm. or not his foil, but his, um, his constant conflict with the world is that he's not good at getting along. No. Well, and, and for very particular reasons, because it, I mean, he, all right, so you're with your crew on the railroad and they tend, you know, they have a kind of close knit group between them. Um, you know, they're, I think they all share perhaps similar personality traits that leads them uh, to working with each other. Their family. Uh, yeah, exactly. In their own way. And what we find though is, is that uh, Duff is heading off for the evening somewhere um, and he's going out to a bar and he um, goes out to a bar and he meets one, uh, a bar fly. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, you know, look it up. Um, <laughs> he meets a bar fly, buys her a drink. Uh, but then decides he's going to go, and he ends up going to a church uh, gathering, and uh, he meets a young lady named Josie, who's played by the actress Abby Lincoln. And the form, the the movie revolves around uh, Duff and Josie and their relationship, because uh, Duff essentially, once again, comes into this community as a as a drifter. Yeah, he's a, as yeah. There's know. a lot of um, understanding that you know, oh, you work for the railroads. Is this everyone kind of understands that? You know, you're not a you know you're not a settled person. Well, and I like the very first thing she comments on him uh, about him is that he's like smiling and exuberant, and she she comments that you know she could tell he's not from around there because he he's not like defeated like all the other men are in this mm-hmm. town. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she picks up on that immediately and is attracted to that. And he has a certain. I mean, the movie is not while. I mean, it, this this movie it, technically is a little rough. It is an, it is the, you know, an independent movie, not an indie also, movie as well, we characterized. It, it, it's also very much characteristic with more of a golden Hollywood mm-hmm. age, like in terms of the linear storytelling, the kind of focus on marriage and stuff. It's got, it's got more of a, like a classic movie feel in kind of its simplicity, even though it's trying to, to take on a little bit deeper of a topic than like just... Okay, you got to get married and have kids, mm-hmm. and we live happily ever after, which is what ninety percent of golden Hollywood movies are about. And the antics surrounding how that marriage goes, and how he loses friends and finds jobs. the uh, The term Wikipedia uses for that is neo realism. Yep. Um, and that that fits very well. It means exactly what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it is an attempt to show the um. It's an attempt to show what's going on. In a fashion that seems unnecessarily realistic Mm -hmm. for the glamour that's possible in film. The actors were not picked for their attractiveness on for the most part. One of one of my favorite parts in the scene that you just said when uh the barfly goes was the barfly, and they really focus on her face, and you can just see like that, you know, she's probably on drugs and that she's had a hard life, and like she is rough, like she Looks and, like and, she has been worn down in a way that you can only get from like living a hard life. Yeah, and it, it's not. It doesn't look like makeup. No, mm-hmm. it yeah. no. looks like actual. Like it, it looks bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um. It's always interesting to me where you. I think that there's um really broadly. You know these these these. I don't want to. I'm not saying everything's dial. You know dualism, but like mm-hmm. you can always. <laughs> I mean, there is a kind of. A decision for an aesthetic as a, if you're going to going to maybe define what your perspective of, like if you're going to make film or write or create music, 
right? Are you going to, you know, try to focus and have an, a certain sense of epicness with your uh, with your aesthetics, right? Or are you going to focus more on the kind of like, you know, day to day realism of of the world itself, right? And I mean, this is a small movie, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean to say that it focuses on the challenges of you know average ordinary life in a small insular culture mm-hmm. which is once again a kind of a reaction against when you look at older hollywood movies that you know it's about like antony and cleopatra you know it's about these you know big historic personalities you know greek gods and, and but i mean like the more simple movies it's always like you know girl guy mm-hmm. get together are they going to get married are they not going to get married yeah. like that's just at the you know the ones that aren't maybe epic but like the ones where if you're just running tmc and turn something random on like the shop girl mm-hmm. or the catered affair i mean these are all just basically black and white movies about Jane two Austin's, people getting you know. together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that's a majority like of them and this like I said, this you can definitely tell this film is coming out of that era, but it's trying to be more realistic than maybe its predecessors. Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't have the play feel of uh, that if if you were to play through this again 30, 40 years later, if you were to do that in I guess 30, 40 is not even long enough now, right? It's mm-hmm. 50 years, 50, 60 years hence. Um we have rom-coms now, yeah, yeah. which are basically the punched-up version of what this became. Yeah, um, where the characters have more obvious quirks, mm-hmm. and there are more side characters that matter. Mm-hmm. In not that the side characters don't matter in this movie, but it doesn't feel like they were written to be memorable. They mm-hmm. were written so that they can exist. Like they were, they were merely written to exist, mm-hmm. um, and they exist within. A society that, even if you can't specifically relate to it because you're a white middle class guy in the 21st century, um, (laughs) you can at least imagine this is a way that someone could actually live in a way that almost no movie nowadays portrays anything. No, it's it's kind of interesting how little of like the 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 working blue collar world is represented in in cinema and and film. Even even when it is represented, it's still represented incorrectly because even what like we're shown on TV to be middle class is really kind of like upper middle class, maybe lower upper class. Yeah, they got stairs in their homes. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so even what we're fed as middle class is still very skewed in, you know, like media today. Well, but I think too that this kind of, what's kind of interesting also from for, from a larger scope about, you know, world cinema is that, uh, you know, European and Asian, especially Japanese cinema coming out of the out of World War II you know, kind of went through this neorealist kind of revolution a little bit before this, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have like in America by the by the mid late fifties, you're finally getting out of like you know grittier street dramas that are still really over stylized, right? Like you have like like you know like the film noir tradition in yeah. Hollywood, where you know it's not to say that they aren't gritty or they don't focus on you know poor off, you know offbeaten kind of stories, but then you know they still have the glean of being a large budget production. Yeah. Um, of course, when the physical when the you know economic and monetary constraints of, you know, losing a war in Europe and and Asia come at you, you know, you have to like scale down the stories you tell. And this is kind of interesting because by the mid to early uh, mid fifties into the early sixties, you know, American independent cinema kind of comes of its own and, and, takes over the style as well. It's um, working towards someone... it. It, re- it, re- it reaches its height, yeah, like in the yeah. 70s, where in like Britain and stuff, I think it kind of reaches its height in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Like they, they caught on a little bit earlier. Well, they were the victims, yeah, right? Because like, you look at something like The Bicycle Thief from uh, which is an Italian yeah. film, right? It is, I mean, it is a film 
about a bicycle thief yes. who makes one bit one one decision that has this like repercussion through it, but it is as petty and small as the as the title uh, the story seems as petty and small as the title implies, and yet has a kind of like resonance to it because it has that you know that relatableness. Um, as well as being something that you could experience. I mean, you know, D David, you have a bike, you know, like I do. Yeah, so you know, like it's relatable, but it's <clears throat> it still, I think, has a kind of an an ethic behind it that is something that commonly isn't shown in, especially in a larger sense, right? I mean, like you're going to the theater, you're not going to usually encounter these kinds of films, and that was partly one of the reasons I wanted to pick it as well. Now. And moving on from this, and I don't want to necessarily maybe get bogged down in the story, but I do want to kind of set up the kind of discussion of what is going on in this film. I think what it has to say, because this is 1964, this is the penultimate year of the civil rights struggle. The Voting Rights Act is summer 64, Voting Rights Act is 65. Um, you know, this is, you know, this kind of comes at the climax of the civil rights movement. And I don't, like I said, I don't want to talk about that in particular, but I do want to maybe discuss what the fuck is going on in this film and why I found it so interesting in kind of relaying what it would mean to be someone who was actually fucking oppressed in the society during this time period because there is a lot of fucking problems and oppression going on and the way that it's revealed through two key relationships uh, Duff and Josie and uh, Duff's father Will and his girlfriend Lee um, I wanted to kind of talk about how the movie begins to revolve around this. Uh, and also, by the way, Duff has a son. So there's this like three generational aspect. That's, well, and then the son part, you can break into a lot of different things about, you know, what it means to be like a, All right. so a let me, let me, man and stuff. So yeah, let, me yeah. let me catch up on the narrative here and then we'll go, we'll dive into these different aspects. Sound good? Sure. All right, here we go. So Duff and Josie begin a kind of a small love affair. We can consider it being like the like two a courtship. Yeah, courtship, two or three dates into it. But Duff is respectful. Yeah. Right. And he is a gentleman. Uh, but he also is, of course, really wondering about why the fuck this girl is with him because she is a preacher's daughter. And of course yeah. she is. So and she's the school teacher. Yeah, she's the school teacher, the preacher's daughter. Um, the, you know, the preacher is clearly a local community leader as well. And uh, we discover this by a fucking scene that like really like boiled my blood at the time period. So uh, on their last date, Duff and Josie uh, in this little mini date session yeah. here as they're getting to know each other, um, they're on a date and they are sitting in the car just hanging out because that's what you did before, you know, movie and television and Netflixing and chilling, right? You parked and chilled. Yes. All right. So they're parking and chilling and uh, in somewhere seemingly isolated uh, and uh, two guys come up to the car and they are two white guys. And there is a very... The first two white guys in the film. Yes. And it is a really terse and, you know, heavy on the implication, right? Mm -hmm. He he immediately stands up for himself, telling these guys to get the get out of here, you know, get the hell out of here. And, you know, they they, they are just unfazed by being threatened like this. Um, they begin to needle and prod and essentially implicate by like, you know, you know, commenting on her sexuality, mm -hmm. um, you know, implying that there might be violence going on until um, one of them recognizes that she is, in fact, the preacher's daughter. And this seems to, you know, if you if if we do this, we'll be in trouble with white people, essentially, yeah. is what they say in this dynamic. And, you know, he uh, these guys end up leaving and hightailing it out. And, you know, he Duff has this comment that I think is really interesting was that as they're screeching away and yelling and the car is firing, he says, uh, you know, he's like, God, you know, they don't sound human. Yeah. And I really like that scene and how it uh, reverberates around. Um, but in the end, 
the when they get back and Duff drops Josie off at her home, um, he, there's like a what the hell's going on? Where are we going, baby? Yeah. You know, like, baby, where are we going <laughs> with this relationship? Um, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a drifter. I'm a guy who doesn't put down roots anywhere. You're clearly someone who wants to establish and be a part of the community. And she well, and she does establish. She she does not like where she lives, and she does feel oppressed within her system. But she does feel like she's doing some good because you know she's the only school teacher for the one school that is okay for the school. It is all black students, and even though you know segregation, uh, you know they were supposed to be stopping segregation. Like mm-hmm. this town is kind of kind of coordinated it as such so that, you know, they're like, well, we won't give you any problems if you just don't buy into the segregation and keep your kids over there. And so she does feel like a responsibility to educate these students because she she realizes, you know, how isolated and how few resources there are in her area. So that's kind of what's keeping her there. But she's not, you know, it doesn't thrill her. Mm-hmm. And and moreover, that is a millstone that she wears as a direct result of the compromises that her dad embodies. Yes. yes. Her, da- her dad is extremely resourceful, very intelligent, very charismatic, and uses that in order to placate white people to get what he wants. Yes, mm-hmm. and it, he doesn't do this for the greater good. I mean, this is literally just for— It's self-serving. It's very self-serving, and it's not helping elevate the people in this town. It's keeping them down, but by keeping them down, keeping them out of trouble, quote-unquote, as well. No, he he is the most courteous, cooperative villain this movie could have. Yeah. And it's and it's interesting, too, because as you are, like, because this is another— I mean. It's part of what is also enjoyable about this movie is the way that this that this world is kind of revealed to you, right? Like there's just like a small conversation between an older white gentleman and uh, Josie's pre- mm-hmm. preacher father, right? Um, implying that you know, um, oh, we, um, you know, we're going to look into this issue for you, but look, you know, I'm going to you're going to get what you're going to get, but it'll be it'll be better, but don't. You know, this isn't the right but don't time. Don't push. Yeah, this isn't the right time for like your people yeah. to do this. Yeah. Um. There's also a good line. I don't remember where it comes from, but it's early on in the movie where um they're talking about well we haven't had any kind of trouble for uh, you know several years, implying that there might have been some protests or some civic action. Or yeah, pro- someone you know, might have on. stood up for themselves, but like we just we just don't. Yeah, we've done that. We've we've, we've, we've we done don't that. do that anymore. Yes. And that the white people are waiting for it to happen. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, it's, but it is this antagonism. They're waiting for the excuse. Yes, exactly. And this is what's, what's so interesting is that we're going to see this pattern of like needling, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's not, it's not that, you know, like segregation happens and, you know, like, oh, and everyone can, just integrates and we're happy. Yeah. Or that they can settle into their own communities and then be happy, right? Like whites don't interact with blacks, blacks don't interact with whites and we can kind of hit some harmony by absence you know like it will just be harmonious because we won't fucking see each other no in fact there's this fucking like needling antagonism that goes on with whites throughout the film as well right they couldn't leave well enough alone to be perfectly frank with you in this film and this con this comes back where you know if segregation was where we could have our own dignity by ourselves that would be one thing but it's not like whenever there is a requirement for interaction you know i have to be subservient and these themes of like man and of course whenever he classism uh, yeah and classism is there and of course whenever duff is referred to they of course call him boy a boy and please boy 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 and you know it, it you know going back and watching this film again i was like trying to like 
categorize in my mind all of the different kinds of boys that are in this thing. You know, like if you played them all back to back, you would be just a litany of the different inflections and meaning behind that word. And each one of them fucking would sting. And this is, this is, you know, so right around the same time Bob Dylan was writing songs. Like, how many roads must a man walk down before, you know, you can call him a man? And mm-hmm. this is like what the, you know, this is what the black men in this community are experiencing every day. Like, they're never respected as equals. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, that is a bit on the nose for what I was, <laughs> for yeah. I was about to say. But it's the, it's, it's the one part of the mantra this movie illustrates very well a uh, a trope that virtually everyone remembers from segregation and maybe the only factoid um you could ask anybody about is the term separate but equal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the degree to which that can be violated um even even beyond the legal side of it simply the the subservience the assumption mm-hmm. of a of a level of stratification uh, yeah, in the world hierarchy yeah, yeah. no it's it's like really shocking because i think that this movie hits the kind of emotions that someone feels from this. So just to kind of move up the film a little bit as well. Um, so after they are kind of setting up, like Duff and, and Josie are going to kind of pursue this relationship a little bit further. Um, but Duff has to make a trip into the city. I don't know which city. but Birmingham. In, Birmingham, yeah, into the yeah. city. And he heads into the city uh, to do two things. Um, one, to uh, give some money uh, to his child, who he still believes is being taken care of by the mother. Mm-hmm. Um when we go and follow Duff on this uh, on this journey, we in fact find out that um, his son, which we are, which Duff, he is not, yeah, he is not sure is, he is his not son. Confident that this boy is his son, and mm-hmm. this is still like problems that play out today. Yes, um, you know he's, you know, obviously this woman who we never see said that this is his kid. He's not so sure about it, but she just took the money that he's been sending and left for Detroit. But it's but yeah, she but she leaves to go north. I mean, yeah. this is a kind of key yeah. thing too, which is that like people the 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 disruption in this community is you know from within, but then also from people. Getting the fuck out of there, yeah. which no, makes entire even, sense. And to it's be even recommended to Duff on multiple occasions <laughs> that you, you know get the fuck you're, out of here. You need to just go up north. Like you don't like the way you're treated here. You want to be an equal. Like go somewhere fucking else. Mm-hmm. Well, he was already essentially doing that with the railroad. Yeah, it's just that other things intervene. He he can't have the all that he now wants. He I, he seemed. Okay with the railroad at he the init- at the part. It's backbreaking work, but he had friends and he, he and seemed he to making, be smiling. He was he making had decent independence. Money. Yeah. yeah. Independence. And this is something that you I think is kind of a little bit interesting here, right? right? The idea of of having equality, but being on the back of not having anything tying you down. Mm-hmm. Right? You can stand up and feel and and have that dignity for yourself in this oppressive situation. When you don't have to have the continual interaction with the same people or the continual interaction with the same people enforcing that system of, of subservience. Yeah, and where Josie is in a town that does, you know, in, that does, you know, have that that sort of of restriction, you know, he at first is not under those restrictions. But by continuing his relationship with Josie. Mm-hmm they then become his restrictions. Yes, and this becomes the core tension of the film. Because as Duff not only... Okay, let's just wrap up the plot here. Um, So Duff goes to visit his son 
Um, we finds, see like squalor, like we kind of see it's like, tough, man. yeah, we see, you know, the way that all these row homes are just in a line and, you know, there's tons of people living in each of these house. Like the these, woman who's caring for his son is apparently caring for, for like all, multiple like children all sorts at the same of children time. That just got dumped off. He's still sending that family money. She said she was ever receiving it. He says, well, now you'll receive the money. Yeah. Uh, so he's going to continue to send money. But while there, he finds out that his father is back in town, I guess. Um, his father seems to be a bit of a drifter and a heavy alcoholic. Okay, yeah. So here's the here's the key thing. He goes to meet his father, a guy named Will. And uh, he is with a woman named Lee, who is uh, played by the actress Gloria Foster. Uh, you know who the Gloria Foster is, dear listener to the podcast, if you've ever seen the Matrix movies. Because she is, what, what the Oracle? The yep. Oracle. Yeah, she is the Oracle. So, um, if you... Uh, now... Duff and his father share a lot of attributes with each other, right? You clearly see this idea of the same kind of, you know, I don't, drifter is such a, such the wrong word here, but this, but it just kind of implicates this idea of, of constant But someone motion. with no roots. Yeah, exactly. And his father is very much like this. And also, I mean, his father has this kind of uh, desire for his own independence. Uh, and what is interesting, of course, is that Will... Uh, Duff's father is not only desiring to be independent of, you know, the kind of constraints that would come from from building a home and a reputation and relationships in a, in, in, a, in a specific community. He also wants to be independent from his own family. Yeah. But right? it's very clear that he feels that the that that will Duff's father feels this this kind of like loyalty or the fealty that one would have for your relatives or your own children is similarly being something that is constraining and affecting that independence. And I want to kind of emphasize too that it's this notion of Duff's seeming it, lack of desire to want to be, you know, a family man or to lay down roots. I mean, we've got to make sure that we're tying this to the problems that Duff faces in the second part of the film, which is no, that because it's actually he's in a better position when he doesn't have any roots because well, he, he. Go ahead. Well, I'm just saying that you know, like. Like, he's actually in not a bad spot in the beginning of the movie when he's just moving along with the railroad and mm -hmm. making his $80 a week. I mean, it's not a bad position to be in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and he obviously is not feeling the stress of, you know, the current, you know, segregating system around him because he's basically mm -hmm. on the move. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that all changes slowly throughout the course of the movie. Yes. And uh, are we ready to get, keep going here? Uh, yeah, because, so. yeah. yeah. Uh, so Duff is heading back into Birmingham. Uh, he runs into Josie, who I think set up the fact that they knew they were going to probably bump into each other in Birmingham at the bus station. Yeah, she, you know, played a little game. Yep. Made but, sure she was on the bus with him. Yeah, it's cute. I mean, yeah. I mean, it is kind of neat that there is some, like... Because she does like him. Dude, because yeah. he's a likable guy. Yeah. Like, he... I mean, this is the kind of key thing, um, and I want to kind of hit on this, which is that Duff, and the reason that he is different from the other people, the other black men in this town, I think we're led to believe, is that Duff has this kind of... this un, His independence... And his desire for independence is based on the fact that he doesn't want to compromise his dignity, right? As a human being, he does not want to compromise how he, his, he, he fucking recognizes that racism is bullshit and he's not going to be talked down to, and he's not going to play the game of being subservient. Well, he doesn't like the in, father at in all. In himself, because his father, the, yeah. Well, she doesn't like Josie's father at all because he thinks that that's bringing the entire wrong 
perception of, you know, just being subservient to the white people and just, you know, getting them to basically cease fire by being submissive. Like he doesn't see how that's progressive at all. And there's definitely tension there because of that, rightfully so. And and as we as we see as we see Duff's insistence on being treated with dignity, right, it becomes more apparent that the that the reason he chose the road, the, the constant, you know, railroad traveling lifestyle was because uh, the problems that associate when he quits that job and goes to work in the local mill uh, to essentially get married and have a home so that with he Josie. So he can, yeah, make roots with Josie. And because she won't leave that small town, he nope. decides he, that he, he will stay he there with her. her. Yes. Yeah. He loves her and wants to stay there with her. Okay. But, you know, yeah, but he's warned that that's not going to be easy because, you know, the folks in that town don't like that kind of independent spirit. As, and dignity. As we'll soon find out. Yeah. So yeah. he's, uh, so, um, you know, he's working hard. He's uh, working at the lumber, the local lumber mill. Yeah. And um, he uh, has an interaction, right? So they're on lunch and he's sitting around with, with mostly his black coworkers, but there's one white guy working there and the... <laughs> So he's being, once again, prodded, needled in a jocular way, you know, like what's, you know, oh, your wife make you sandwiches and such, you know, like, yeah. because it's a small-ish kind of town, I guess everyone kind of knows each other, but still like he's being called boy, the guy's being derogatory, he's needling him, he's making fun of him, and Duff just isn't playing along, right? In fact, well, he's I'll not treating this as if there's something to be, that this is funny, yeah. or there's something to like, like... Like, I'm supposed to enjoy myself while being talked to like this. And, you know, he basically says that, you know, like, well, you know, like, all right, move on. You know, like, we're not, I'm not going to laugh at your fucking, you know, your jokes that are putting me down. Uh, I'm going to finish my lunch in peace. And the, the white guy walks off, clearly miffed. Mm -hmm. And the, this is, I think, what's oh, just... No, 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 no. Something really important happens before Late the white guy wipes, walks away. The white guy confirms to Duff and among the other six or seven black guys there... The Duff is the only one who's going to be doing this to him. Gotcha, yes, okay. Uh, the white guy asks Duff if what he said was funny, and Duff says, I only laugh when it's funny. Right. And the white guy systematically asks every other person there mm -hmm. if they thought it was funny, and they all they all demur mm -hmm. saying, yeah, they're not, they, they it's laugh. clearly not genuine. Yes. But they all say it. Yes. And so what what that scene establishes, at the very least, is that unlike Josie's dad, where it seems a little ambiguous whether or not he feels oppressed, mm -hmm. whether he, what he is doing results in oppression or not, mm -hmm. these people, just based on the beautifully mundane way in which they go about it, demonstrate that they're not happy with this arrangement, mm -hmm. but that they feel there is nothing they can do about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And like, he, they're definitely not going to stand up towards it. No. They need a job. And yes. And we discover how important that is as a black man to have and, a job. And absolutely. And he, and there is this, but what you have to, like, accept, right? All these little fucking indignities that you have to fucking accept in order to maintain this position from people who know that they will not receive the same kind of treatment for putting you in that position to, you know, like, it's like, you know, it just is... You know, through it's this, not enough it's, to do a good job. Yeah, and it's just he's and Duff's there, and he's talking to these guys, and he's like, "What? You know, like, what the fuck, guys?" He doesn't say yeah. that, but clearly he's like, "We don't have to accept and they this kind of treatment." They basically look at him and they're like, "Yeah, we do. Shut the fuck up." Oh, what did he say? No, the, um, <laughs> he's like, "Hey, man, that guy was trying to be nice to you. Yeah, the, like that white guy <laughs> that was demeaning you. He was trying to be nice." And it's like, I you know, like, 
the sense of like, well, that's a fucking strange way to be nice to another <laughs> human being, you know, like it is it like the dynamic of what's going on there was so because so fucking I mean, from our perspective, right, to like 21st century people not in the South. I mean, we're in Orlando. That's not the South, right? No, but like no. not in the South, right? Like that is so the, the contradictions are so blatant to us now yeah. that it makes this really shocking, I think, to kind of see that, like, hey, man, he's trying to be nice to you. Nobody mistakes that guy trying to be nice yeah. to him. Like, everyone, <laughs> mistakes, everyone understands that he's, he's demeaning that man. He's demeaning Duff in an intentional way. Yep. Um, so moving forward, there's some more interactions, right? We see um, Duff and Josie getting a home, setting up their own place, um, you know, establishing themselves in a, in a poorer community than what her father would like her to move into, mm-hmm. right? The preacher, uh, her, uh, Josie's father lives in a nice, you know, upscale suburban home in their, in, in black part of town, I'm assuming. Um, they live in a much more, you know, um, poor area yeah, of town. Yeah, we got row houses again. Yeah, exactly, the row house again. Um, but then we find that, you know, as Duff is going back and working at the mill, uh, as they're getting ready for work one day, uh, a different white guy, the boss, uh, you know, the su- supervisor or whatever shows up and, um, you know, basically says, you know, look, I know there was an, in, a contradiction. I know there was a confrontation, but you were saying something about like sticking together and standing up for yourself. Are you a union man? Yeah, you a union man. And mm-hmm. Duff did was a union man back yeah. in the railroad. But of course, when Duff's talking about standing up for yourselves and sticking together, right? He's talking about you know like not being treated he's in a demeaning racist way. Exactly. Yeah. He's talking about dignity and how we can how we can achieve that dignity together, right? Yeah. It's not just enough to be together in a bad situation, right? We need to, to recognize that within each other. We need to stick up for other. each other. Exactly. And that doesn't happen. In fact, he knows, in fact, that one of the people in that room sold him out, yeah. right? Snitched on him. And he loses his job as a result of that, and right? And he is blacklisted because of that. So okay, now- yes. This is the key scene, yeah. right? So he go- he's like, I lost my job. I'm out of work. He goes to the other mill. He's like, can you use us? Yeah, you can use all the help we can get because... Working at a lumber mill is a terrible job. And he's like, hey, well, you want to I'll take you if you work here. What's your name? Got Duff Anderson. He looks through the list, you know, finds yeah. the, Sorry, got nothing for you here. Fuck off. And that was like, you know, the, probably the best job in town that he had available. And to that him. job only paid, what, $30 a week. Mm-hmm. Now, he went from making $80 a week on the railroad to $30 a week was the best he could get in town, mm-hmm. not on the railroad. And once he gets blacklisted from that industry, okay, hang on. He goes. He goes and he looks around all. He looks you know, around. A, a, the shops. You know, hey, you could use a hand. Can you use anything? Already got a boy. You know, I don't yeah. need anyone else. Um, and then, of course, he has the last place he can look for work, um, and it is, of course, in Alabama, and it is picking, picking cotton. fucking cotton, and that is. Three dollars a day. So he goes three dollars a day, and all the, the cotton, cotton you, you can, can eat. eat. <laughs> oh my god! So he goes from eighty dollars. You know, a week to three dollars a day when he decides to put roots down in this small but, Alabama town. Um, but, but once again, <laughs> his shiftlessness, his rootless nature, mm-hmm. the reason that he was succeeding there was because he wasn't laying down roots, right? Yeah. Like Duff gets into trouble because he's unwilling to compromise on his dignity, unwilling to. And as a result of that, he is punished over and over and oh, over no, this again. This town, in this, this town will break him of that because they don't want people like him there because that's how you start trouble. Um, mm-hmm. You know, according to the white, you know. Well, you're yeah, you're you're, you're causing trouble. Yeah. You're, you're not you're not accepting the treatment that we're giving you. And I've got to say that I am like really because if we want to take this outside of its racial context, right? There is 
you know, as you are interacting or establishing your reputation in a, in a place, in any sort of place, right, you become a victim of your own, you know, of, the, of, that, uh, of that social dynamic that you find yourself in, right? The culture, the, the people that you interact with, the history that you bring with you into, into you know, as you go day and day and day into, into your relationships. I mean, that becomes something constraining, right? People expect you to behave a certain way, right? It becomes inhibitive of growth and of change as people expect more of the same from any individual. Mm -hmm. But that's not intrinsically a bad thing most of the time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's yes, the, this is, it's, yeah. it's, it's okay for there to be social... No I, I understand I'm speaking to a 21st century audience that's lived under the pale of having to be unique, but it's okay to have social norms and have some degree of conformity. It makes life a lot easier and it can make life a lot safer and more fulfilling, but not when that conformity mm -hmm. is so subservient yes. on a completely non-elective level the way yeah. it is here. Exactly. Non yes, exactly. And it's, it's also so difficult because as Duff is experiencing this fucking, you know, this, this being put down over and over and over again, um, his relationship with Josie begins to deteriorate. Um, and it's a lot of it is because of the pressure that he feels because Josie in the grand scheme of things is very, very understanding. But mm -hmm. that's not what Duff wants. I mean, Duff wants to be able to succeed as the man in this relationship. He doesn't want Josie just being accepting of him like he's got kind of a responsibility to himself and to this. Josie's got nothing to relationship. prove. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you know, he's the one that that is suffering here. Mm hmm. Yeah, jo Josie is, I mean, and the moments where she does suffer, I mean, it's an absolute cliche of TV and film to talk about the, the strong female leads. Mm -hmm. um, the handful of times that there are altercations with Josie, mm -hmm. um, she doesn't stand up for herself in the kitschy, Com not, not even talking realistic, but honestly believable way that mm -hmm. most of the time someone would in a film like this. She doesn't have witty retorts. Mm -hmm. When she gets pushed down, she stays down. Mm -hmm. When some, um, uh, there was a scene right before, um, right before Duff goes and visits his kid. Mm -hmm. Josie learns all of a sudden mm -hmm. that Duff has a kid. Yes. And she doesn't freak out. She doesn't yell at him. She doesn't even really give him a look. She looks away mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. says, I didn't know you had a kid. Mm -hmm. And then I, for I forget specifically what her next question was. Um, but that scene, that, that scene is almost surreally real in a movie. Mm -hmm. Because that is simply not how they portray those things. Yes. And making that look believable, I'm sure was a lot of work. And she does a fantastic job with it. No, her, hers, it's, it's very weird because I, she's also been oppressed. She's the preacher's daughter. She's, she's been oppressed by dad, like her whole life. Like she does not, she's not, you know, yeah, she's not the person that gets up in your face. Like mm -hmm. she you literally just has to be understanding and accommodating all the time. Uh, but, but even uh, again, I, like, I'm, I'm almost stating beyond that, yeah. that her, her actual performance of that is extremely good. Yeah, he well, I remember one one of the arguments that I think it might be towards the end as he's continuing to like, you know, as he as his anger about this situation grows and grows and grows mm -hmm. that he's put himself into, right? He and this is I think I mean his his anger is 
while not like, I mean, you know, like it's easy to tell someone get over it when they're angry about something, you know, but like his, his deep seated anger that he feels as a result of being treated this way. And there's an anger I've picked up on watching this film for the first time. I felt, I felt like Duff did a lot of, I, I really was angry watching this movie. And, um, he says to her, and this is what I think really hit me. He's like, stop, stop being so damn understanding. Yeah. yeah. Like, why can't you get angry about this? And, you know, she is not, I mean, clearly not that kind of person. And it's something that is, I think, very interesting in the way that the steadiness that kind of comes from this, because it leads, I think, to the overall emotional climax in the film where Duff is, you know, makes some very key decisions uh, leading uh, uh, in which the story plays out in. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the plot. And yeah, we're, gonna, we're on the yeah. last yeah. Okay, yeah. here. So um, Duff, in the end, ends up getting a job, I think, through the uh, Joe's, uh, the preacher's, the preacher's largesse. I mean, he gets... It's, um, what is he? Um, gas station attendant. Yeah, gas station attendant. Yeah, but that yeah. only lasts about a day because some white people come up and... Because <laughs> well, white he to, people. Yeah, he's, he got, he's got to yeah. pull a guy out of a ditch who hit a car. Yeah. And, you know, there's... I mean, there's an interaction. You know, the guy's, you know, once again, trying to be nice, but in a way that... You know, you you almost can't fault him because the you know the guy's a little Truman Capote esque. You know, he's a little short potato guy, white guy, real high Southern voice, white suit kind of thing. Um, but clearly, you know, they're like Joe. You know, Duff makes a mistake. He apologizes for it, but then you know, like that's all I'm apologizing for. You know, like yeah. you know, like fuck off. I, I like we'll get this taken care. You know, you're the one who drove into a tree, motherfucker. You know, like didn't say that, but like you know. Uh, but in the end, he knew it was up. Yeah, he knew it was up. Yeah. So, but in the end, right, we see the next another confrontation. Right, mm -hmm. we see now the short white Truman Capote esque kind of guy has uh, four hick friends, um, and there is the most overt threat about yeah. his behavior and what can come as a result of this. And I've got to I got to set people up for what comes after this because um, you know Duff obviously. Interestingly enough, doesn't uh, doesn't force the the white gas station attendant to fire him. As a result, he's like, "Fuck it, man! I'm you know I'm out. You know, like mm -hmm. this. I'm not going to force you to fire me. We're done." And Duff fucking has his last, uh, you know, a violent confrontation. Doesn't hit her, but he throws her to the ground, and he's like, "I'm fucking out of here, right? Mm -hmm. I'm fucking out of here." And he cannot protect this woman that I think he cares for, right? Him leaving at this point in time might be a safe a safe decision for her but it's complicated right he is both at his wits end at the end of his rope however you want to say it with this situation he is frustrated with himself for his incapability to overcome it and he is you know as having his life threatened mm -hmm. for you know not taking their shit yeah i mean at the most ba i mean he is not leading protest groups he no. is not staging. Um, He's you not know, trying to unionize the lumber he, workers. All he wants to do is fucking live his life and not take this shit. Yeah. And they won't let that. Like they, like the society, this the society will not let him do this. And he fucking leaves. And um, he ends up back at his father's place. Uh, his father, who is now basically, I think he's drunk. Him, you know, he's yeah. basically drunk himself to death at yep. the end of this movie. Um, when his father dies. Um, I also forget to mention as well, his father is wounded, apparently, uh, maimed somehow, lose, has lost control of his arm. Um, you know, once again, I think a real good representation of this, like, you know, what is in store for Duff at yeah. some point in time, right? You don't, you don't follow Duff's path, path without, without its own compromises, uh, without its own risks uh, as well. And 
in the end, right, after Duff, you know, buries his father, uh, has some, you know, interacts with Lee and kind of sees this perspective of what's going on, um, Duff makes a very crucial and fateful decision. Um, he goes and he picks up his son and goes back home. And the last, it, this movie ends quickly, right? It, as yeah. This emotional climax kinds of, ha- this kind of happens. This movie ends what feels prematurely. Yes, well, abruptly. It, 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 well, finish up where it ends and then we can so, yeah, he, we he, can tear the ending up because I've got some thoughts. So he, <laughs> this movie ends um, and Lee, uh, uh, yeah, excuse me, Duff ends up back with Josie. She sees that he's brought back his child with him. Josie's um, also supposedly pregnant. Yes, exactly. And, you he's, know, he's, his sister, um, he says, uh, was he said, baby, I'm back. Um, it's not going to be easy. And she says, I know. And the movie, like, ends from there. But it's going to be okay. Yeah, but it's going to be okay. Yes, thank you. It's going to be okay. It's not going to be easy, uh, but it's going to be okay. Uh, and, you know, the movie just kind of ends from there. And I've got to kind of really play out this dynamic, which is that what I think is ultimately happening here is that Duff has dignity. But what I think he begins to discover throughout this process is integrity. And I, we've got to kind of understand that those are a little bit, those, those are kind of two different things, right? Where one, dignity is when we carry ourselves to a certain expectation, uh, right? In the way we, we carry, in the way we carry ourselves. Uh, integrity is when we act in that manner, mm-hmm. right? And I think that those two things is where we begin to see this merging through uh, this character of dignity and integrity. And Duff... I think discovers within himself this idea of integrity uh, because in one sense, the preacher, if I could make this dynamic, um, uh, Josie's father, the preacher is, I think, all integrity, right? A preacher, it is about how you say, what you do, how you act, and you need to do that in accordance with with what is good. And setting an example for the community. Exactly. Uh, his, his, uh, Will Duff's father is all dignity. Yeah. All, uh, it's all me. You know, I'm only going to rely on myself. I will act in a way, even if it leads my, to my ruin. This is how I'm going and to I behave. Be I have dignity. And I will burdened by yes, you I'm not going to compromise my me. dignity. Yeah. Um, and of course, I think that there needs to be some sort of marriage, if you will, between mm. these two qualities, represented by the the two father figures in this movie. And I think, I think, to my mind, essentially trying to be unified within Duff himself between the dignity of standing up for yourself and believing that you have a place in this world but then also acting in accordance with as someone who has to then bear the responsibility of what that means. And this two thing about nothing but being nothing but a man is the kind of discovery of one character uh, in understanding that about himself. And I think that this movie is a fucking really, really beautiful representation of not just the struggles that a black person would face during the situation, but I think that any person faces in their lives of having to understand the difference between dignity and integrity and squaring the expectations that you have for yourself uh, while acting in a moral and honest way. And the ending, though it is framed in a strange way, and the lack of music certainly didn't help with that, I think, to some degree, um, it it ends up being, (laughs) they had to have known this given the time period, um, it ending in such a not even ambiguous way, but simply abruptly is because we don't know how it ends Mm -hmm. they literally in a historical fashion there's a question mark on the end of this yeah and that was kind of the hardest thing for me because it did a great job setting it up but yet again this movie it doesn't leave us with a solution for how to deal with this institutionalized you know racism that duff 
and, you know, subsequently his family is going to face. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to be, you know, positive at the end of this because we've already seen (laughs) Duff get beat down by this town. And, you know, it it is it it, like you you are rooting for him and that he wants to do what's right and take care of his wife and take care of this kid, even though it might not be his kid. You know, and, you know, maybe try and teach the community around him to have some dignity for themselves, too, which they clearly don't have because of the way this town is set up. But you're not left with any sort of solutions or ways that you can see him overcoming these these huge struggles to live out, you know, a dignified life with integrity, Mm -hmm. as you were so saying. So it's. It's hard. Um, <laughs> it's almost like, uh, you know, I, I, what was my my thing? It's like, you know, we had the Arab Spring and the Occupy Wall Street. And it's great you got the protest and we're aware of your situation, but you have no vision of the future to change what direction it's moving on already. Therefore, your protests are not necessarily effective. Mm-hmm. Th- there are some takeaways, though. There is something to it, even if it doesn't lead all the way to the promised land to be cheeky about it. Um, <laughs> you, um, which I am proud I thought of okay. right on the spot. There. Yeah, excellent. But um, the, I, I mean, to some degree, I, this this movie is the strongest treatise against coats I've ever read. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes all of the premises of Between the World and Me And Mm -hmm. comes to the complete opposite conclusion, which is that the efforts that you put forward have no higher purpose than to try to fix this problem, even if it doesn't seem like there is a solution, even if it takes forever. Mm -hmm. There's nothing else worth fighting for. Right. That's why Duff comes back. Duff could get a job on the railroad again. He's a perfectly capable worker. He could just send money to... Josie and send money to the kid and do what he was doing before. He could have opted to be someone else, but it occurred to him when his life expanded that it expanded in a way where it became unrecoverable that, and not merely on, or not that it was unrecoverable, but that there was no point in going back because that life was so small by comparison. Yeah, exactly. Um, There was no reason to fight to be who he used to be. Um, And in that way, again, that's not a solution but it is the thing that is worthwhile mm-hmm. and the movie sees fit to end on that note. And I will say that that ending works a lot better the second time you watch it. No, I was, it, it was a movie that I had watched probably when I first saw it, I was, I was shaken by the, by the movie. I didn't, it took me a while to, to work out. Cause like I said, I had, I had such a visceral, like emotional reaction to this film and it took me a while to kind of, like you know, wind down from it to a certain to a certain extent. But watching it several times, I kind of saw and understood that this wasn't this isn't a prescriptive movie about how to like overcome oppression. Um, there, a lot of when you realize when you kind of like read the theorists of this time period is you know how is 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 dignity something you can only achieve when you've gone through the struggle of you know, of, of of gaining equality. Um, you know, or do you have to kind of discover what it would take within yourself before you set out to do it? Uh, the problem, of course, with one approach is that if you have to wait till you find it within yourself, uh, you might never f- ever be able to act upon it, right? You might never reach that ability within yourself to handle, to prepare 
and know that you're ready to handle what you're going to put yourself through, Duff. you might never get there. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing, of course, is, is that if you're all action and no integrity, um, what the fuck are you creating anyway? And is that the best situation for you to go uh, 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 in the first place? And this, the these two dynamics are, once again, very, very hard to kind of reconcile between them. I mean, we have to re realize that all of these are kind of made, you know, all of these like larger decisions that are made in someone's life are most of the time not conscious decisions, right? If we're trying to work out how or what kind of major decisions we're going to be with, right, who we love, where we live, um, you know, whether or not we're going to involve ourselves to better our communities, right? We don't usually make these decisions as like, you know, well thought out philosophical dilemmas on a, on a podcast about a movie, you know, like we don't sit down and, well, I don't think most people contemplate these things in general. Rather, we have to like, you know, mill our way through the kind of like boring domesticity in which these situations arise, right? Where we, I mean, so, and, and watching this movie the first time, I was watching it with my, one of my ex-girlfriends and, um, I was asking her after this movie if she had ever put up with being like sexually harassed on the job. Mm -hmm. And she said that she had. And I was like, well, why didn't you fucking tell someone about this? Why didn't you do something about this? Because like I wouldn't tolerate someone like sexually harassing me at my fucking job. Like I would, you know, that would piss me off and I wouldn't fucking tolerate it. And, you know, it was it was an interesting discussion because it really, you know, kind of showed me that so much of this isn't, you know, these grand philosophical issues are made and oftentimes stated in such in such completely isolated domestic situations, right? It's not just like, oh, I'm going to quit my job and leave here. I'm going to, instead of to focus how that impacts everything else within the context of my life, whereas to me, I tend to have a different perspective, right? It is about the fucking you know, like, God damn it, you will not treat me this way. Like, I, I don't care if I blow blow my fucking Yeah, you'll life burn plane the bridge up. down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, someone who's a little more volatile in the way they <laughs> conduct their lives that way, you know, like, it was hard for me to kind of understand. But, you know, as I was, like, growing up when I was watching this movie, I, be, I came a little bit more aware of these situations. And I was, you know, kind of, it's just interesting to kind of see this the way in which a movie can, I think, handle something a little bit more mature. Because then I think what would have been a little bit would have been really odd is if everything worked out in the end, you know, like <laughs> that would have been even stranger because we would have realized this movie is now doesn't have the kind of fucking embedded realism that is that the, that the context of this movie takes place in. Then it would have been true black exploitation. Yeah, exactly. And right? this movie is not black exploitation. We do not hit black exploitation until seventy two when mm -hmm. we hit sweet sweet backs badass. Yeah, absolutely. I will not recommend. I won't recommend that movie because it's barely watchable. <laughs> but it does touch on important things within the, you know, black culture. Yeah. But it, it's not a very watchable movie. Well, and, and, and it's, and in this film too, I would, I would hard to say that it's hard to recommend this movie to people. Like, it's like, you know, cause. No, it's one of those. Yeah. I don't know if I'd recommend it, but I feel like everyone should at least watch it. And I was not aware of this movie actually before you had suggested it either. Um, you know, this had kind of. This had kind of, you know, fallen off my radar because mm -hmm. I'm, you know, like I said, I'm I'm much more f familiar with kind of the black exploitation era, which starts about six years after this mm -hmm. movie. Um, but it's it approaches things very differently. I had no idea yeah, about no. any of this. Yeah. So. No, um, a lot of you know, a lot of a lot of um, black culture doesn't, you know, cinema doesn't catch up till that period as well, right? You yeah. Go, you you find a lot of of, of plays. 
you know, um, literature and, and, and poetry and essay writing tends to be where a lot of the kind of like artistic expression gets located before the 19, um, 1960s and then the 1970s. Because when, that's, that's the kind that black people had the resources to. I mean, exactly. this, this movie was put together by a Harvard-educated Jew. Yes, yes. exactly. This yes. was yes. not this was not black people by black people for black people. This was... No, that did not happen until 72 with Sweet Sweetback's Badass. Yes. Yeah. No, that took a lot more time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just... But I think it's, it's important to kind of reconcile those two. You know, like, it's just... Once again, you know, I always kind of tr- tie these things into the, like, larger social context that, they, uh, that, you know, film kind of comes from. But I think it's part of what I like about film is that it is this kind of, you know, it is a window into a period of time where we aren't, you know, we don't have those things readily accessible to experience and the kind of day-to-day reality we experience our own lives, right? But rather through film, you know, if you want to kind of, like, experience what it's like going on in, like, late 40s, early 50s Japan, you know, the only country to survive a nuclear attack, mm-hmm. like... You can watch fucking films from then and like, you know, movies about people going through their day to day lives in that culture during that time period. And it's not just the stories themselves, but the way in which they're told, which I find most fascinating. And in this one as well, while there is definitely a lot because, you know, it is it is something you have to like strive to go and experience. But in its own way, like I think like liberal culture is always a little like there's always like I think a little bit of second guessing that takes place with in, in modern times where we're trying to like engage with other cultures on their own terms, right? We're like, you know, like, oh, we don't understand anything about this. But I think that's bullshit. You know, like I, I not to say, it, but I, I think that's what they want us to think, right? That we don't know anything about them. But I do, I think that, I think that what's going on in this film is, has some universal fucking meaning behind it, right? What pissed me off watching this film was that, you know, when I was younger, I was bullied. Mm-hmm. And that made me a very angry person, right? Very angry about being bullied. And, you know, I then, if I had to, like, put up with that bullying now, like, I I don't know if I'd still be alive. You know, like, I do not know if I would be able to handle it in the same way that I don't think Duff would be able to handle it, right? As someone who was bullied when they were in, in school, like... That that shit just like really. When you talk about people who've been bullied their whole lives. Yeah, no, like I can't. Yeah. I I that's what pissed me off watching this film so much was that I fucking really, really identified with that and and how that how that you know, can be. And it makes so sense, you know. Un- obviously, you said a Harvard educated Jew, you know, made this movie. You know, he's also from a culture that came over from Europe because they were bullied in Europe constantly, <laughs> and the they weren't as bullied in New, you <laughs> no. know, when they got to America. Ro- Romer got on. A train out of Nazi Germany. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he he can again black empathizer. Yes, yeah. he un- well he understands what it's like to be oppressed by you know another class of people. Well, and I and I don't think that I think that there is some some relatability that we can kind of extend oh, no, there's, yeah, and there's use some, our imaginations yeah. to connect time in times and our own feelings when you know it's not a, exactly a stretch or a reach to be able to try to understand where someone comes from. This you know I kind of. I mean, it's not, it's not so much understanding. Like I understand, even if I can't directly relate to it, I can empathize and understand it. Like I said, I just, I, you know, I, I leave, I get left with that little empty feeling at the end of this though, because I'm like, <laughs> what is the solution to this? Because I don't, yeah. I don't know what it is. This movie doesn't know what it is. And, um, you know, the joke that I made while we were watching this was that the one time I went to Birmingham, mm-hmm. which would have been. 2003 2004 mm-hmm. it didn't feel that much different than right. this movie 
No, and that is... And there was still cotton fields, and there was still, like, pawn shops open really late at night in black neighborhoods, mm-hmm. and there was still some serious segregation feeling going yeah. on. No, and it's and it, it's something that, like, resonates now, right? When I'm in class and I have to, like, I, like, I want to talk about, like, race and diversity, and it's, you know, are there, like, are there benefits, are there drawbacks? It is really surprising how hesitant... Like really, ha- like I'm the one who first has to say like black people or Hispanic people or Puerto Rican. Like I'm the one who has to like say these terms first before students will actually ever even say well, them. Well, because we're 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 like well that's that's also kind of this weird culture thing because we're in this like we want to like we're like trained to be PC. But like the thing is, like they, they don't matter. They yeah. exist, but they don't matter. But the thing like, is, like, like no, ugh. now you're just glossing over the fact because these are still issues, and we need to be able to address them in a realistic sense, not just like gloss over and be like, no, everybody is cool, and we'll just not say things that are offensive. Like mm-hmm. that's not the answer. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is, but that's not. Well, I know, it. I know what it isn't. Yeah, <laughs> right. So I don't. I know there's uh, there are people who say that you know what we're doing is kind of the height of hypocrisy, right? Like three gifted former gifted students standing around talking about a movie about black people. But um, I do think that there is a lot to be learned from this, and it's something that once again, like I don't know what the I know what the answer isn't, right? Yeah. Uh, and it, it sure as hell uh, is is avoiding what we're doing here, right? I don't know if this is if what we're doing now is the answer. Yeah. But it sure as shit is a step in the right fucking direction. Like the direction. fact that we're acknowledging that this, you know, this is a thing and we're watching movies that address it. Like that's that's more than a lot of people can <laughs> fucking well, that, say. That's I, for damn sure. Like, like for me it was just something that was like a happy, you know, it was a happy coincidence yeah. that I had stumbled onto this film. I had, you know, it, basically I found a list about, about films that had been accepted by Congress as yeah. being like worthy or into the National Archive as like yeah. being of note and historically significant. And I was like, all right, well, fucking what's historically significant mean? And I, I plucked this movie out of the blue and it was just so, you know, one of those happy little moments in life where a lot of threads kind of come together uh, in a moment. And it's a film that's always stuck with me. And I've um, watched it now with several people for the um, who I've exposed to it for the first time. And it's just something I like. It's just a movie I like experiencing well, every couple of years. And it's a shame that it's kind of fallen off the radar as much as it has, like to the point where, you know, I wasn't even familiar with this film. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it you know, it should be as well known as, you know, whatever your Anthony Cleopatra movie. Like, exactly. You know, I like, think so, too. You know, it, it should be as well known as, as stuff like that from the classic era. And yet... None of us can recommend exactly. it. Yeah, no. Which is, which I got a bit of a hunch that beyond its initial box office release, which was tepid, not in terms of its critical reception, but in terms of its actual output, they, the total budget for this movie was very, very small, and they um, could only put it in a handful of theaters. But yeah. once it got outside of that, one of the problems with neorealism is that exactly what makes it powerful makes it very hard to recommend. As, I mean, a, as I, an enjoyable experience. Yeah, I, I, I I even would say I enjoyed it the second time I watched it. Mm-hmm. I did not enjoy it at all the first time. Yes. It was not mm-hmm. fun to watch the first time. Um, it's like, I mean, Wes Anderson's fun at least the first time. Yeah, well, that's but the thing. Absolutely. But yet it's All like, the good films. Yes. You need to be there. You need three or four hours, not one and a half or two. Well, and this, I think that, you know, what... Like you're saying, there's a there's a limitation in the philosophical decision of neorealism as a, as a as an experience of cinema, right? You're absolutely right. And this film has those trappings of being, you know, difficult to watch. Fucking a movie without the kind of enjoyable payoff that we're normally wanting to expect from movies. It has stylistic limitations that you know 
it can be a slog in going through periods of it. And, and it's hard as American going, fuck, wow, man. like this is the Shit. country we live in and this is how we treat people. Like, <laughs> we can this go, sucks. like you said, we can go places and fucking. And it still find, feels like fuck, that to man. a certain extent. So, yeah. Yeah, this movie still hasn't ended. It turns no, out. it hasn't. It and hasn't. Oh, my God. Like, there's still not a, you know, Duff still isn't necessarily living out the American dream. There's there's even less sign of it ending now than there was a yeah, month ago. Yeah, yeah. That's what's oh. really frightening. No, man. And, you know, it's, it's always shocking, too, because, um, you know, I've, I, worked, I worked construction for a while. You know, I, like, I worked with guys who were alive during this time period mm-hmm. and, you know, who were able to, like, you know, talk about the kind of experiences during this. And it just, it's just... Sad. It just make it like it, when I when I would get over my anger, you know, I'm really struck with a fucking incredible sense of sadness that comes from that. And that's once again why, like, why would you recommend that experience to someone? You know, like it's like, hey, this movie will make you angry and then and then depressed and then sad. And like, you know, I I <laughs> like I have a kind of twisted emotional sense about me anyway, to where I fucking kind of revel in that as in the human experience. Uh, but it's also why I like ridiculous and you know incredibly fun movies as well. Uh, by the way, I'll just also share something too. Uh, you guys, Key and Peele, the uh, the black comedians who yes. have their, uh, I saw their movie Keanu, yeah. which is really awesome, which is also a great black culture movie as well. But that was a lot of fun. So I balanced them off. I had to immediately go. I'm like, I, want, I want something <laughs> enjoyable, and it just turned out that was what, what was next on my uh, on my on my Netflix DVD queue was uh, Keanu with Key and Peele, and that okay. was incredibly enjoyable so to balance these two experiences. So how high would that off. be an appropriate movie choice? No. <laughs> because because I love me some black movies too, and that, that I particularly no, the, love How High. No, and it's <laughs> and it's so fun because like, but I, it's definitely a totally different vibe than this movie. Oh man, yeah. like it's so funny being you know like because I love like some a, like certain aspects of black culture. You know, like David and I love like jazz like yeah. a whole hell of a lot. Like I love older blues music. I love fucking black writer. Uh, a lot of black writers like out there. I like funk music. I love funk music and so like I really, really love black. Oh, I wanted of black to make oh oh uh, and how a, high and uh, on an important black culture note for this movie. This was the first time Motown put out a soundtrack because mm-hmm. even David noticed, despite the austerity <laughs> of the film in general, there's some um, good fucking music in it, didn't some it? Great music <laughs> in it. No doubt. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. I feel like we have apologized for being white enough. Um, oh, yes, absolutely. But still, if you are interested in this time period like I was, I'd recommend this movie. Yeah. But only I, if you're interested. Uh, I mean, this this very much, if you're in the right frame of mind and are willing to <laughs> are willing to consume it, this fits pretty much precisely into the same realm as Between the World and Me, mm-hmm. just from a different era. Absolutely. Um, it's not something that you will enjoy reading. Or watching, uh, but you probably should yeah. <laughs> if you yeah. live here. Well, and it's it's one of those things where it's not recommended because I don't think the challenge of that kind of of art uh, or 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 so, uh, is is an experience that a lot of people want. No, they don't. And this is and this is something that I think is challenging to the, to maybe your perspective on history or social interactions. And I don't recommend. I just don't go. I'm a little bit responsible in the way that I recommend these kinds of experiences yeah. to people because. You know, I don't think many people can handle them or seek them out. So, unfortunately. So, we all heartily recommend watching Nothing But a Man. Yes, exactly. Twice. You should should at least get it in. Um, (laughs) You know, like I said, it's sort of a shame that it's not more well-known than it is. We are fixing that now. But we're working on that. Yes. Yes. On the movie crew Understandable and remediable. Yes. Yes. 
So, um, who's who's picking next? That would be Nicole. Oh my I have god! Zero ideas right oh, now. Oh man! Okay. Uh, <laughs> All right. We don't uh, even have like a like a like some paper we can pick dude, out of I your almost, fist. I, well, I you know, this <laughs> left me in a conundrum because I was trying to think of maybe other other movies that are you know have more of like a maybe black protagonist mm-hmm. that that I could kind of piggyback off of. Um, the problem is all the ones that I really like. I after watching this, they're not going to have the same kind of impact that okay, this cool, movie yeah. has. <laughs> um, so I, it's left me in kind of a. I'm not sure what direction to go. It's also Christmas time. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, so you got to pick something with snow in it, huh? So, well, no. Basically, I, I'm just I'm at a loss. I'm like I don't know if I can piggyback off this one in a way that would be meaningly well, meaningful and effective. But no, then we I'm, just need one oblique connection somewhere. Okay. okay. So what if we went? Because uh, you now, dear listeners, Nicole does have a Christmas movie watching tradition. I do. I have. I have. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if she might pick that, but there is there's a possibility we could step fill, fill it. All right, let's, let's let <laughs> that her, would be a hard yeah, let's left let her turn. Make this decision okay. off this. Well, yeah. I, I'll be honest with you. I'm really tempted because I, part of my movie tradition is subjecting people to my favorite. I, there Christmas we go. There's movie. a connection. There's a connection. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. All right. I sort of really. I really like White Christmas. Okay. Okay. But I don't know if I'm committed. I don't know if that's something worth talking about for an hour and a half and making I can, people I'll, I'll watch. I'll pull an hour and a half. I'll do, if I have to do a little dance number in the middle of the I mean, podcast this is, now to this stretch is, out well, the time, I'll this do is, it. This is classic Hollywood. I mean, this movie, um, you know, nothing but a man. We're like right on the cusp of moving completely out of classic Hollywood. I don't know if we've ever been full-blown classic Hollywood on here. All right. Um, that sounds and, like a good enough reason. Woo. And White Christmas is full blown classic oh, Hollywood. Man. We'll get some. We'll get some ginger snap cookies, some yeah. tea with rum in it, and we'll the walk. good part about it is the movie has almost nothing to do with Christmas. Yes, um, and it's very witty and funny. It Let's, has a lot of dance numbers. You, you convinced me. Yeah, okay. that sounds like a pick to me. All right, so we're gonna go from nothing but a man, man. to White, <laughs> White Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> And on that bombshell. Yeah, really. On that note, Nicole Ryan, thanks, thanks for being part of the Machination Log. Uh, Good morning, everybody.